Amen. See, I told you Wednesday night is so much nicer when the musicians are here to cover up what I'm having to try to sing. It was wonderful. Now, I thought we had a great evening Wednesday evening. It was good singing Wednesday evening. I appreciated that so much. And uh, praise the Lord as he gives ability and gives us heart just to sing for him. Amen? Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles this afternoon. Turn with me once again back into the Gospel of Mark. I must tell you that I, I pray... As I study this chapter, I've been studying this, we've been going through Mark now for a while, and uh, I just, my prayer is that, you know, it's not just me that's getting something out of it, but I'll tell you, I have learned a good bit studying the Word of God, and I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit of God, not only as He reveals and opens things to my understanding, that uh, by the working of the Holy Spirit, He's working in our all of our hearts, uh, so that we all are drawn closer to God and, and have a better understanding of how things uh, in Scripture apply to our lives and how we can apply them uh, throughout each and every day. Uh, so today will be the second part of a message that, well, honestly, I think it'll be a couple of more parts to this message. I, in fact, I think uh, all of chapter 13 really is a message. It is Consider the, uh, I guess some of it, some call it the Olivet Discourse. It is uh, one of the, if you wanted to call it a sermon, I guess you could call it one of the last sermons that Christ gave while he was uh, on this earth. But um, today's the second part uh, of this message. And um, as we saw from verse 3, uh, really this whole chapter, or almost all of this chapter, was a, a private conversation held between Jesus and four uh, of his closest and perhaps most beloved uh, disciples or apostles. Uh, and that, of course, as we saw uh, from verse 3, it was Peter and James and John, and then, of course, Peter's brother, Andrew. Now, I have to wonder, and perhaps you might wonder as well, if this was truly a private conversation, like I've said a number of times over the last couple of weeks, if this was truly a private conversation, well, then why did God inspire and ordain that it be recorded for all of time since then and into eternity? That doesn't sound very private. Well, that's a, that's a great point. However, I think it's flawed. And here's why. It was indeed at the time a private conversation that these four apostles had with Jesus because the content of this conversation was not intended for all the masses at this time. This was intended for those close enough to Christ that he was able to reveal it to them and they could have an understanding because it deals with the end times prophecies. Now, that's a complicated subject, I suppose, but this, even though it was a private conversation at the time, it really was not strictly intended for these four men. Because these four men were, in fact, men, and they were only going to have a short lifespan. And so beyond that, how would this information be propagated? Well, God took care of that. Now, I believe that God intended it to be recorded so that you and I, and so that all who desire to know God, all who desire to know Christ, and all who desire to know what God has in store for his redeemed and his chosen people, 
We can read and we can study and we can look to the Holy Spirit of God to open our understanding about how God works and about what God has in store for us. And you know, the Bible tells us that God would have us to, what's the phrasing? Get wisdom. And with all our getting, get understanding. So if we're to get wisdom and to get understanding, we need to, as Proverbs 4, verses 5 and 7 tell us, we need to have this understanding. We need to know what God has said, know what Christ has said, and ask the Holy Spirit to give us that understanding. Now that being said, we also have to accept that there will be some portions of the revealed, preserved Word of God that, he, that we will only be given a limited understanding of in this day and age. This side of glory. That is to say, before we are given our incorruptible mind. Because here's the problem. When we understand something, our flesh wants to try to take that something that we now understand and turn it to our own advantage. That's how we are by nature. God, I believe, has withheld some of that full understanding for the very purpose of us not being able to corrupt his wisdom before others. So some of these things we simply have to take by faith. Now, we are given this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 9 where the Bible tells us that for now we know in part. Verse 12 in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, when? Then when we put on that incorruptible, when our minds and our hearts are changed, we then, we, uh, it says face to face. For now we see through a, dark glass, uh, through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Let me ask you something. Does God know you in your entirety and every possible aspect of your being and your life and your thoughts? Yes. Yes, he does. And the Bible tells us that one day we will know even as right now we are known. So one day we will have the complete and full understanding of all of Scripture. But until then, there are some things that we simply have to know as much as we can, but then leave to God to handle it and focus on what God has given for us to do. Now, our text today, in fact, most of this portion of Mark, uh, Mark's record of the gospel is to some degree one of those very portions for which I believe we will only be given a limited understanding. Now, that is not to say that it is any less important to study because certainly God wants us to study it. He's preserved it. He's given it and recorded it for us to study. That's why he says study to show thyself approved. But I believe it is an area that we'll have to, in part, accept strictly by faith that God knows what he's doing, even if I don't understand all of it. Because this is God's, I believe in this chapter, it's God's gracious glimpse for us into what will happen. But it is for the purpose of drawing us closer and more diligent about our mission in this life as we see these things taking shape. 
It's not for us to know, based on this particular portion, exactly when these things are going to happen. It's not for us to know, based on this text, exactly who is going to be involved in these great tribulation times, although we are given some clues. It is for us to know that there are some great tribulation things happening and they're going to be coming and there's going to be wrath poured out on this world and our mission in this life is to bring others to the person of Christ so that they too can escape what's coming. Now, what is our mission? I just said, to be a witness and a testimony of our personal Savior Jesus Christ so that others can come to that same saving knowledge. It is also that we become conformed to that very image. That, in other words, become a reflection of the character and the spiritual attributes of the only begotten Son of God. So, all of that to say, let's read our text. And let's see what God has for us today. And then, let's pray for God's wisdom and understanding. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse number 14. Find your way there, and the Bible says... This is Jesus speaking, of course, as he is continuing his answer to the apostles. He says, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that is on the housetop not go down into his house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation which God created, unto this time, and neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Verse 21 says, And if then... Or, and then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. In verse 23, Jesus says, But take heed, take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, Lord God, I do believe that it's possible for us to understand much. And it's possible for us to understand even uh, a great deal of what Jesus was speaking here. Father, will we understand all of it? I dare say that's probably not. And yet, Lord, as we seek to understand what you would have us to understand today in this passage of Scripture, in this passage of your word, Lord God, I'd ask that you would open our hearts, open our understanding, and may the Holy Spirit of God impress on our hearts what our mission is relative to the application of this text. God in heaven, help us today. Help me today. There is no possible way that I can effectively preach your word, but may the Holy Spirit fill each and every one of us. May the Holy Spirit control what is said. May the Holy Spirit of God control what is heard by each soul that hears your word today. May your will be done. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't have a three-point outline. I don't even have a two-point outline. I don't even have a one-point outline. What kind of a Baptist preacher are you? Well, I'm a hack. No, I'm not. I, I think that this particular text simply is a conversation. 
And let's look at it as a conversation. Jesus is telling us, Jesus was telling the four apostles what's going to happen. Now remember, if you will, that this discourse, this, this sermon, if you will, began as, as mentioned, a response to a privately posed question about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. Now if you'll recall, the Jerusalem temple was the hallmark, if you will, of the Jewish faith and religion. That was the focal point in the holy city. Now keep in mind also that many, if not all, of these end times prophecy references to these, there's two words in here, the elect. Many of the prophecies about the end times, references to the elect, are in reference to simply God's chosen people, Israel. That is the nation of Israel, that is the Jewish nation. Now, that being said, we who have believed in the person and the work of Christ, having accepted him as our Savior, the Bible tells us and God tells us very clearly that we are adopted into the sonship, if you will. We are part of the family of God. We are the children of God. And we have, by that salvation through Jesus Christ, become as one of the elect, God's chosen people though we were not always that way. Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are, he writes, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are as one of God's chosen people because of Jesus Christ. Many of these prophecies that talk about the elect are specific to the original God's chosen nation of the Jewish people. He goes on to say in chapter 2 in 1 Peter that we are a part of a chosen generation. We are a part because we have become as one of the elect. We are a part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, and a peculiar people in verse 9. And in verse 10 he goes on to say, which in time past were not a people. We were not always God's chosen people. But we are, but, but the Bible says, but are now the people of God. But there remains a, I'm going to say a minor distinction. In that, it is still the nation of Israel that are the chosen, the elect, in this prophetic answer from Jesus. Now look at our text once again. In fact, let's back up just a little bit. Chapter 13, let's take a look at verse number 13. The Bible here tells us, Jesus tells us, And ye, now he's talking to his Jewish apostles, he said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Uh, we can certainly see an applicable relevance in verse 13 as today. We can see all around us the real disdain and the dislike for Christians and anything to do with being accountable to God. I don't want to be accountable to God. I am my own person. I control my own destiny. That's what so many will say. We don't like to have uh, an accountability that we have to pay. So there's a disdain, there's a dislike for Christians and anything to do with being accountable to God and, and needing salvation through Jesus Christ. What do I have to be saved from? Because they don't believe. But because 
Jesus was speaking privately with these four apostles. He was speaking of the intense hatred of the chosen peculiar people of God of the day, the Jews. Now let me ask you this. Do we not also have a glaring worldwide epidemic of something called anti-Semitism? <laughs> oh, don't we ever. And it's growing. The disdain, the hatred for the Jewish nation. Wow. God said it, Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, and it's coming true yet again. And yet, as the late fundamental preacher and evangelist Dr. J. Vernon McGee once said, when God puts his seal upon them in that day, they are going to make it through to the end. The Jewish people will not be decimated because they are God's chosen people. Many will be annihilated, yes, but there will always be God's hand of protection on some. Read again with me now, verses 14 through 20. Look at it again. It says in 13, You should be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. In verse 14 again, When ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand it. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them that be on the housetop uh, not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of this house. And let them that uh, are in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, for in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, here it is, no flesh should be saved. What does that mean? The Jews would have been completely eradicated. The Jews would have been completely removed, but the Bible says, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, God hath shortened those days. Now, having read that, what is this abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet? I'm sure that some of us have probably studied a long time about what is this abomination of desolation. Do you have a simple answer? <laughs> well, if we could state it simply, we could call it the decimation or the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem, but more specifically of the temple of Jerusalem. There is, however, a little bit more to it. Not only will the temple be destroyed, but there will be some object of abomination put in the very place where that holy temple was. Mark records, when ye see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not. Matthew records this event saying, when you see it standing in the holy place. Now, I don't know that we're ever told, if we are, please correct me, I don't know that we're ever told exactly what this abomination object will be or this object of abomination will be. But we do know that it will be absolutely satanic in nature. How do we know that? Well, because anything of God cannot be an abomination to God. Amen. So, therefore, if it is not of God, it is of Satan. The abomination that gets put in the temple's place, in the place of the holiest of God's chosen people. That abomination will be absolutely 
satanic. And it will be the cause of an absolute, here it is, desolation of any godly and spiritual influence. An absolute, desolate, barren land where there is no godly influence. That's the abomination of desolation. We don't know exactly what it is. But we know it's going to be absolutely satanic and it's going to be horrible. There, there, there will be no spiritualness, spiritualness, spirituality, aside from Satanism, worldliness, none whatsoever. Jesus tells these apostles that when they see this happen, he tells them that they will see this happen and that it will be time when they see it happen to flee for their lives. Now verse 19 says, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. The interesting thing is, if we look at history, the temple was in fact destroyed just some 40 years or so after this discourse. The temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. The Jews were scattered. There was horrible persecution of the Jews. But look again in verse 20. It says, Except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened those days. In other words, each time in history that Jerusalem was destroyed, each time in Jerusalem when that temple was destroyed, because we know from Scripture and from history that this has happened more than once, God's mercy was such that there has remained a remnant of his chosen people. It is not that they were saved because of their goodness or their faithfulness, but simply because of God's grace and God's purposes. Now why are we talking so much about this and how does it apply to our lives today? Is it not the same grace of God that we experience today? When calamities come, when destructions come in our lives in any way, shape, or form, is not the grace of God present with us also? God said he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God said, whatever happens, I will go through that with you. We are, even though we are saved by the grace of God, we are certainly deserving from time to time, of God's worst for our repeated disobediences, for our repeated affronting and confronting God and our repeated fleshly nature that we can't seem to control. But because God has a purpose and because God is ever gracious to forgive, he also, for us, shortens the potential of the consequential difficulties that we often bring upon ourselves. We can make a complete mess out of our life. We can get ourselves into situations that there's absolutely no way out of it. But because of God's grace, there does appear a way out. We can come back to God. He will forgive and he will resolve albeit we will have consequences that we must face. We're not absolved of the consequences. But God makes a way through. God does extend his grace to us. Nonetheless, even with that, it remains 
our exhortation, it remains our duty, if you will, to always be diligent because of our adversary, the devil. Oh, and do you know what Satan's main mission is? <laughs> Satan is bent on trying to destroy every remnant of every witness of Jesus Christ. Oh, Satan hates that whole situation. He hates the fact that he got thrown out, that he couldn't be like the Most High. He hates the fact that people can be saved through Jesus Christ. He wants to destroy every remnant of witness. Now there have been, as Scripture describes, times of desolation. Times of tribulation. And friends, that won't change. The Bible tells us in a number of places that we will have tribulations in this world. John chapter 16 verse 33b says it plainly. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You can't get much clearer than that. But the verse doesn't stop there. The verse goes on and says, but be of good cheer. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Paul writes to us. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth, comforteth us in all our, what's that word? Tribulation. So it is clear, and it is evident, that God is still mercifully working because he is long-suffering to usward, the Bible tells us. And by the way, Usward also includes the very chosen nation of the Jewish people. God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3. But, Christian, and for those who may be listening or will listen at some point that don't know who Jesus Christ is or don't yet know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Satan is also still very hard at work doing everything he can to keep souls from understanding and accepting God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Oh, he doesn't want anybody to hear that message. Oh, he doesn't want anybody to accept that message. That means, as we begin to close today's message, if you will, that the rest of our text is still happening. Wait, what? It's not just a historical record. The rest of a text that we're studying today is still going on. See what Jesus says in verses 21 and 22. The Bible says here, Jesus says, And then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Christian, your adversary, the devil, wants to take you down, wants to destroy your testimony because as a witness for Jesus Christ, you and I stand in his way. You and I are the hindrance to his plan to keep as many out of eternity in heaven with God as he can if we are doing our job as a servant, as a witness, and as a testimony of Jesus Christ, we stand in the way of Satan accomplishing his full plan. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 that even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 
just to try and make sure that there is a great falling away from the faith as described in another end times passage of scripture 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 there will be a great falling away that means Christians will fall away from their faith Christians will have their testimonies destroyed Christians will be made ineffective against Satan's plan to keep everyone he can out of eternity with, with Christ if we're doing our jobs if we're focused on the mission that God has given us what we see in this passage about the end days and about this great tribulation will not have to experience that. And we can save others from having to experience that as well. You see, because there does remain yet, and it is coming, the great tribulation. And it will be just as described in our text for many that remain, especially in the Jewish orthodoxy and reject the person of Jesus Christ. And it will be Indeed, as verse 19 says, affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation. I can't even imagine what the great tribulation is going to be like. I don't even want to try. But take heart, Christian. Take heart. Turn to the book of Daniel with me, if you would, please. The book of Daniel? Yeah, let's go to the book of Daniel. Where's that? It's in the Old Testament. Book of Daniel, if you would, please. Once you find the book of Daniel, find your way to chapter number 12. Chapter number 12. The point here is to take heart as a Christian. Because I want you to see what God said would happen that time. What is that time? At the time of the Great Tribulation. Look in chapter 12 and verse number 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since the nation, uh, since there was a nation, even to that same time. And, here's that phrase, at that time thy people, God's people, shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. Do you see the, the grammar that God has given us in that particular verse? At the time that Michael shall stand up to indicate that the great tribulation is about to start, at that time, every one found in the book of life will be delivered. We won't have to suffer the wrath of the great tribulation. So, why did he preserve it for us? Why should we study it? Why should we understand? Well, Jesus told his four closest apostles, and it was recorded for all we who will accept it, that these things will happen and that they should not surprise us. Now, we cannot, as we've already talked about, we cannot know the time. It cannot be predicted. But the indicators are very clear. We can see things taking shape. As we said last week, the, Bible, uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that we are to exhort one another, to provoke unto love and good works, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. It's approaching. Our text concludes in verse number 23 of Mark 13. Don't turn back there yet, because I want to show you something else in Daniel. But our text concludes in verse 23, where the Bible tells us, Jesus says, but take heed. Take heed. We ought not to be surprised. He says, take heed. Behold, I have told you all things. Now, as we're there in the book of Daniel, 
Did you know that even Daniel tried to find out what time this was going to happen? What was going to be the signs of the times? Even Daniel said, what is it? What's a, what, what, how will I know? But look with me in verses 8 and 9. As Daniel writes, he says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. He said, There's not, it's not possible for us to know exactly. He's given them to us as an indicator, but... As Jesus told his apostles, don't allow yourself to get distracted by all that is happening around you. It will happen. Don't be surprised. Don't be distracted by it. Don't try to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together to try to figure out when it's all going to end. Do you know why God has kept that knowledge from us? <laughs> it's our nature. When we know that there's something happening at some point, it's our nature that we're going to try to do everything else that we can until right before and just in time we'll get everything all squared away for that last event to happen. That's what would happen if God were to tell us that on uh, March 31st, 2027, the world's going to come to an end. I'm not predicting that, by the way. <laughs> do not take that as a, as a prediction. If God were to tell us that based on all of these events and on this day, the trump's going to sound. You know what's going to happen the day before? Well, I know that I'm saved and I know that I'm going to heaven, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to party and I'm going to have a great time before it's all over. That's our fleshly nature. We wouldn't be out trying to win others. I'm safe. Y'all need to get saved, but I'm going to go have a one last hurrah. God didn't tell us when because God wants us to always be ready. If we knew the hour, the day, the month, the year, we would be like those that are in the parable of the lamps. Virgins that thought they could go and get the oil they needed to relight them because the lamps had gone out. And they said, let us borrow your oil. And they said, no, go get your own. And so they said, okay, let's go quick. And while they were gone to get the oil, when they got back, it was too late. If God told us the day and the hour, we would be off doing something and it would be too late when we finally got around to being ready. Don't let that happen. Don't be too late. Know that the time is coming. Jesus said it. He's given us the indicators. Things are taking shape. Be hard at work to bring as many to Christ as you can because it could happen tomorrow. It could happen today. It could happen 10 years from now. It could happen 100 years from now. Will I be around then? I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow sufficient unto the day. Today is the evil thereof. Be hard at work to bring as many to Christ as we can. And when that trumpet sounds and in that moment that we're changed, oh, it won't be long. And because we've been hard at work, we will then hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Pastor, would you close the sermon? Sad times but exciting times. Amen? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. There's one word in there and it's the word from. Yes. The Greek word ex. E-X. And that word there means out of. Yes, indeed. Not through. Not to be protected, uh, to, de to be protected through it. 
but to be protected by getting us out of it. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> Marv Rosenthal, you can have all your beliefs you want to. I'm taking the Bible over Marv any day. <laughs> he was a mid-fibber. Uh, we are pre-trib here because what Steve just read in Daniel supports what's said right here concerning the Church of Philadelphia or the age in which we live, which is certainly the age of Philadelphia. And uh, he's going to keep us out of the word from. Don't confuse the desolation of abominations in the tribulation time period with a desolation of abominations that happened under Antiochus Epiphanes, who marched from the east to the west through Israel to to wage war, get it out, wage war with Egypt. And he was sent back. He was told to go back because I'm trying to think who it was. I don't know if it was uh, Alexander the Great or not. But anyway, told him he needed to get his tail and his army back to where they were from. On the way back here, he ransacked Jerusalem. And he slaughtered a pig in the temple. Mm -hmm. And that was a desolation of abominations in that day. This one is where Satan himself is going to desecrate the Holy of Holies. Because only the high priest, once the temple has been established, the priesthood has been re, uh, reestablished. They will reestablish the Mosaic sacrifices. And at the midpoint of the tribulation is when Satan is going to reveal who he really is. And he's going to do that through a desolation of abominations by entering the Holy of Holies where only the high priest is permitted during that time of the season. So God's laid it all out for us. Amen. But you've got to be in your Bible. So you know these things. Father, thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, thank you for the message we've heard today, the encouragement. Lord, that, yes, things are difficult around us and things are troubling around us, and, but yet, Lord, we're your children. We're a part of your kingdom. And we're just on a journey. And this journey is going to lead us to that place where you want us to be for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for such promises, such encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.